You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. It's episode five, and this particular podcast is near and dear to my heart because it is a solo episode focused on the emotion of rage. And to be absolutely transparent, I had already pre-recorded this episode and edited it and it was ready to go. But in light of all the recent events and the anger and the frustration and the rage as a result of the treatment of Black people, I had to re-record this episode. So bear with me. Um, There will be moments of pause because I am still working through the emotion of what's happening. I am still trying to get or help my children to understand and cope with what's happening. I have not reached a point of resolve and you may hear it in my voice, but rage in its purest state is a, is a form of fury. And it is a form of fury that forms as a result of a lack or inability to express elements of frustration, anger, sadness, and sorrow. And without the safe and healthy spaces to express the emotion, it can become physical and manifest into physical actions because everything you felt has been compounded and you get to a point where you almost feel like you're up against the wall and desperate to act. And so any slight trigger can force you to act. So I'm considering this discussion in two parts. It's the rage of the past and the rage of the present. And my rage in the past, dare I say, was safe because it was rage that was a result of things within my control. In my late 20s and early 30s, I was dealing with my own sense of anger and frustration around the fact that I wasn't where I wanted to be at that point in life. My thought was that I would have been farther along, I would have done more, and I would have been making a certain amount of money, and it wasn't happening. And at the time, Prior to the buildup of the emotion, I was feeling stuck and aimless, not sure what to do. I was working as a dean of students in a school. I did well at it. I enjoyed it, but I knew I wanted more for myself and couldn't figure out what that more was. And so in that aimlessness, I immediately turned to education because I tend to turn to learning in general. 
And when I feel stuck or uncertain, I go and try to learn something thinking it will pull me out of that into where I want to be. And so I inquired about graduate degree programs. I inquired about doctoral programs, sat down with friends who advised me on how those programs worked and whether or not they would align with my life and my schedule. And I would audit courses. I would take courses, trying to create kind of this busy work to fill the void in my head of this frustration of not knowing who I was or not feeling like I was in the right place at the right time. Now, mind you, at the same time, I was raising a family of three at the time with my husband. And so in the midst of my business and my kids' busyness, you can imagine my emotional state. And I never took the time to deal with the frustrations. I didn't really want to talk about it. I didn't really want to voice it to anyone, not even friends or mom or therapist. Occasionally my husband, and sometimes he would just get like the brunt of the the feeling because I'd just erupt or just be angry about something or just shut down and not talk. So I didn't do a good job of communicating and expressing my frustration the way I should have. Then comes law school. I say, okay, great. This is something I can do. This will help get me to where I want to be. I'm going to apply. I applied and I got in. I was in my early thirties at the time. And when I started law school, I was pregnant with our fourth child. I was actually entering the third trimester of pregnancy when I was in my first semester of law school. I remember being pregnant, you know, your emotions are raging, sitting in those classes, working full time and pregnant. At the time, the good thing was I lived about 15 minutes away from school. But by the time the semester ended, I got to a point where I realized I didn't want to do this. It was too much. And law school is very intense and very rigorous. And I wasn't in the mental state to really push through that, especially after having a child. And so I quit in January of the following year when my fourth child was born. What I learned was going back to school and finding ways to fill the void that I felt, it didn't work. So when I quit and delivered my child, I was actually even more distraught with myself. And the rage was probably stronger, but I subdued it because I was a new mom and still raising my other children. And I was relishing in the break that I had. And to kind of step away from that was a huge relief. And ultimately, I went back to law school a year later, actually, when my older kids asked why I quit and I didn't have a good answer. It bothered me. And so I went back. And by the time I went back, we had moved an hour and a half away from the law school. So now the dynamics were different. Not only was I still carrying the frustration and anger from my late 20s and early 30s and those feelings, but now I decided to do almost the impossible, to still work a full-time job as a dean of students, leave work at 4 or 4.30, get in a taxi, go to the train station, take the train about an hour or so, get off and walk to the law school. And the walk was probably 20 to 25 minutes. I would do that when it was sunny, when it was rainy, when it was snow on the ground, 
I did that four nights a week, Monday through Thursday. And classes were usually about 6.30 to 10.30 each night. And afterwards, I'd leave school, take the shuttle, because it was evening, I wasn't going to walk, take the shuttle to the train station, take the train back down, wait for my husband to pick me up, or in some instances, when my car was parked, I would jump in the car and head home. Barely make it in the door, probably sometime after 11, attempt to go through my kids' schoolwork, attempt to make sure their lunches were checked, and then attempting to sit down and read for class. And that was my schedule for four and a half years. And in that time, I made no space to deal and work through my frustration, my anger, my emotion, and it compounded and compounded. And up into the day of law school graduation, I wasn't even excited. I was just, I guess I was glad to just be done. I didn't feel the joy of the experience. And by the time I started studying for the bar is when it began to erupt. One day my kids were in the kitchen with my husband and the way our house was set up at the time, it was a smaller house. Our, I would study in the formal dining room because the table was big and I had a lot of books for the bar exam. And the dining room table was adjacent to the breakfast room in the kitchen area. And so I could hear the kids while I'm in the formal dining room studying. And I needed quiet because I like to study in quiet. And the kids kept going on and on. And there was all this interaction. And it got to the point where I got so frustrated. I stood up, went into the doorway of the breakfast room kitchen area. I don't even remember what I vocalized. I guess I yelled something and then we had a footstool in the kitchen that I used to stand on to reach the cabinets that were higher. And it was right there in my path. And I used all my force to kick the footstool. And I remember the looks on my kids' faces, my husband's face. I knew something had to give because that was not a safe way to express myself. I could have kicked that footstool and hit one of my kids. My anger manifested again when my husband and I had a huge argument and we don't tend to argue to the point of heightened anger where we say bad things to each other and one person leaves. We tend to argue like a debate with both lawyers. So we tend to get into the understanding of the debate or the words of what the other one is saying. So our arguments are like a trial, I guess. But in this particular case, the argument went way beyond our normal way of disagreement. And we'd come home from hanging out with friends and I don't even remember what it was all about, but ultimately we get out of the car. We're still arguing and bickering. And in the house are our kids and my mother-in-law who's visiting with the kids. And we're arguing and it just starts to build up. And we're in our front yard just yelling at the top of our lungs, saying all kinds of I don't even know what. And I'm a very private person. And so this was well outside my normal course of behavior. But it erupted. We were yelling back and forth. And I blacked out because I don't even remember much. I just know my kids were looking out of the window. I remember them feeling upset and I just stormed off. 
and left and walked down the street. Thank goodness my good, good, dear, dear friend lived in the next neighborhood over. And so initially when I just stormed and walked down the street, I didn't have a place to go. And then when my mind started to clear, I said, oh, yeah, my good friend lives here. So I just went there and sat with her and cried and talked and cried and talked. When that time passed and those incidents passed and several other minor incidents, I started working on myself. I did little things like breathing. I would literally say, okay, stop and breathe. Think about your breath. Or I would stop and count to myself to kind of pull myself out of a moment. I also did what, you know, professionals call this cognitive restructuring. I reframed my thoughts into more affirmative thoughts, you know, to express the way I felt. Instead of saying, you know, you did this or you made me feel this, it became more of, I feel this way or I would like this. And what that restructuring does is allows space and room for the other person to hear your frustration. Because a lot of times when we're frustrated, we tend to lunge and attack at who we think the perpetrator is. You did this and you made it wrong. And then the person is on the defensive. And so in an instance with my husband, if I felt he did something wrong and I'm not really practicing a positive or permissive approach to my anger, then he's going to be defensive. And then we're just going at each other. But when I say, I feel this way, here's why this incident happened. I feel this way, as opposed to you did this. Or I would say, I would like it if you would do this, because then it makes me feel this. And I found that communicating that way took practice and it is frustrating, but doing that more disarms the both of us. And so now 21 years of marriage, that's our approach in general. That was what I did, this cognitive restructuring. I did also work on how to problem solve for myself because sometimes you get angry. A lot of times you get angry and you blame other people, other situations. And I said, well, what can I do for myself to help push through that? So when it came to anger and frustration, what I did for myself was I started writing more in my journal. I started figuring out what are the outlets I could use to fill the void in a purposeful way by writing, by being creative. I was able to help get, help myself get through some of that Um, and communicating in general. I wasn't big on friendships during that time because I just wasn't good at it in my head. So that was my rage of the past, the rage I was able to work through and find tools and strategies to help me get through. But what do you do when you can't figure out how to make those strategies work? Because all of the triggers just keep happening and happening and happening and they're beyond, well beyond your control. This is the rage of black people in America. At the time of this particular recording, we are all still quarantined as a result of the coronavirus. And 
Breonna Taylor has been killed. Ahmaud Arbery has been killed. George Floyd has been killed. I'm working a full-time job in my house. I'm also working a side business. I have four children at home, two in college, one in high school, one in middle school. My high school friend has passed away. And I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to cope through the trauma of violence against Black people. So all those strategies that I was able to pull upon during my frustration in my early 30s are out the window at this point. I signed off of work on Friday and I spent time in my emotion just crying and crying and crying. And it was for a number of things. Yes, the high school classmate who passed away. But I also cried because I was helpless. What was I supposed to do to deal with this again? What was the conversation supposed to be like with my children again? How was I supposed to be able to be a professional in a workspace and work environment where the majority of the people don't look like me? Again, that's frustration. And the more these instances of violence just keep occurring, that frustration compounds to the point of rage. And on top of all of that, I have to contend with the fact that I can't protect my Black children, three boys, one girl, from how the world will perceive them and engage them and incite them because of the color of their skin. I think James Baldwin said it best when he said to be black and conscious in America is to be in a state of constant rage. I am realizing that I've been in a state of constant rage, not the rage within my control, the one where I can figure out tools how to communicate, how to manage cognitive restructuring. This is a rage where I'm fighting against things I don't control. And right now, coping just looks like getting through the day to day. Coping is just being able to breathe one more time. Coping is being able to write about it. Coping is being able to cry about it. Coping is being able to cuss about it, fight about it. But I have to do that within the walls, in the confines, in the spaces with the people that I love. I can't do it against the aggressor and the perpetrator. You know why? Because it means that I could also lose my life. There is no safe space for Black people to cope with their rage, especially during this time. In all honesty, there is no safe space for us to do much of anything. We can't birdwatch, jog, relax in our homes, have a cell phone, play loud music, sell CDs, sleep, walk from the corner store, play cops and robbers, go to church, walk home with Skittles and a hoodie, get a traffic ticket, shop at Walmart, read a book in the car. We can't breathe. We can't live. We can't cope. This is the state of our America. And if you think that's challenging and frustrating, imagine having to help your children cope. I can barely cope myself. I have to help my oldest cope when he walks in the store with his white friends and is asked if he stole something. Or help my daughter cope when 
she has to defend her right not to have her teacher use the word nigger because of literary posterity. And I have to help my high schooler cope when he has to explain to his non-black friends that whether you use the hard R nigger or no R nigger is still wrong. Or help my middle schooler cope who says he is stressed out and scared in his own home as a result of all of the recent violence and incidents against black people. So understand my rage is constant and every day I'm coping. And so the question becomes, well, what do we do? I don't have the all-knowing answer or response. All I can tell you is what I do. And this in no way is to purport any type of professional legal recommendation, but I am grieving and giving myself the room to grieve. And my grieving will look different from your grieving. Some of mine is being in silence. Some of it is emoting and crying. Some of it is running. Some of it is talking about it. Some of it is scrolling and responding to social media posts. I am allowing myself to grieve and process through my emotion. And that's all I can do right now in this moment. Because as I told you, it's a constant state and you're constantly trying to figure out how to address the new attack, the new violence. So then there's the overarching question of where do we go from here? Well, I can't speak for everybody. I can only say what I've done for myself because right now, that's what matters. I've been running a lot. I allow myself the room to emote and cry about it, talk about it, read about it, have discussions with my children and husband about it, uh, pray about it, think about it, get angry about it. But I also leave my heart and mind open to those who would be allies in this process, those who are not Black, I'm okay with that. You don't have to be, and I respect that, but I'm okay with that because I know that a person's actions does not define the actions of an entire group or subset of people. And being black, you should understand that more than anything because it's easy for folks to assume that all black people are a certain way when in absolute actuality, we are not. And so my mind and heart is always open to receive the comments, the encouragement, the text messages, the Facebook messages. So I am grateful for that community of folks who have reached out and continue to reach out as a result of all this. And I'm going to just keep talking to my children, no matter how exhausting this gets. And yes, there are other ways we hope to take action. But the point is, we have to deal with ourselves first when trying to check this rage. Otherwise, as we see in the news, it becomes a physical manifestation that could have unrecoverable effects. I look forward to any of your comments and thoughts around this episode. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm in Disrupting Balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. 
You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.